You're about to listen to an episode where we talk about hunting. So you might be interested in my free guide on how to get started in deer hunting in Ireland. To get it, go to deerhunting.ie or click on the link in the show notes. From this guide, you will learn how to get a deer hunting license, obtain a firearm certificate, and get permission to hunt deer on a chosen piece of land. Everything is explained in simple language and in easy-to-follow steps. Get my free guide on how to get started in deer hunting in Ireland. Simply go to deerhunting.ie or click on the link in the show notes. You are tuning in to an archived episode of the Tommy's Outdoors Conservation and Science Podcast. After you finish listening to it, why not take a moment to listen to one of the most recent episodes? I'm sure you'll enjoy it. This is Tommy's Outdoors episode 23. Um, 23 is somehow special number. And um, and there's also a special guest on episode uh, 23. Uh, uh, my and yours guest is Kari Zilka. So you might remember that uh, I was invited to Kari's podcast, Huntfish Travel Podcast, uh, Shark Week edition of the podcast. Um, so um, you can find that podcast uh, embedded on the on the Thomas Outdoors website. Um, but then we kind of uh, talk a little bit and we fi- figure out that, you know, it will be pretty cool to have Carrie on Tommy's Outdoors podcast. And Carrie uh, kindly agreed um, to accept an invitation. So I usually travel to meet my guests, um, but Carrie being uh, in, uh, in America, um, you know, there was like a little bit too short notice for me to jump on a plane and go to America. Um, so this is uh, first episode of Tommy Outdoors podcast that is actually recorded over the internet. Um, so uh, you know, if you have any feedback with relation to the quality of the sound and so on, then please leave the leave that feedback in the comment section, uh, either on the website or on any of the of the platforms that you're listening to the podcast. Um, but overall, I am very happy uh, to be able to uh, talk to Carrie and um, to talk to about, you know, some specificity and some specific things related to fishing and hunting in America uh, that some of you might be aware and some of you might not be aware. So we were talking about, uh, you know, uh, tagging tag system in, in America and how you need to obtain a tag and what are the different rules to get a tags. Uh, we were talking about hunting industry. We were talking about this iconic hunts, like a sheep hunting, like sheep hunts or, or elk hunt. Uh, we also touched on the subject of CWD, which is uh, apparently an issue going on right now in the United States uh, with uh, chronic waste di- wasting disease uh, in deer. Um, so overall, we we cover a lot of ground, and uh, I was I was really really happy to be able uh, to speak with Carrie on the podcast uh, about you know reality of uh, fishing and hunting in America, and also about her podcast, Hunt Fish Travel Podcast. Um, so uh, you know, I I think that uh, all that's left to do is to proceed with the actual recording. So, ladies and gentlemen. Kari Zilka. Uh, 
Right. Uh, with us today, Carrie Silka. How are you? Hey, thanks for having me on. I am doing great. Well, it's a it's a pleasure to have you, and and thanks for uh, accepting the invite. Um, maybe for the benefits of uh, of our listeners, a little bit how 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 this happened because the first I was on your podcast, uh, and it was uh, Shark Week podcast, and we have a conversation. And then, like, well, okay, why didn't why didn't you come to Tommy's Outdoors podcast? And you kindly agreed. So this is this is why it's happening. And there are a couple of firsts. So first of all, you are the first American in uh, Tommy's Outdoors podcast. Yay! I am honored. Yeah. Yes. So you representing the entire nation here. <laughs> Great. Uh, no pressure. No pressure, no pressure at all. So that's that's one thing. And <laughs> secondly, this is first time I'm recording Tommy's Outdoors podcast um, actually over the internet. I usually travel to meet my guests. Um, and, you know, the travel was a little bit long this time around. So <laughs> yeah. we're doing that over the internet. And and again, you kind of introduced me to this wonderful tool that we're using that I hope it's going to work just just right. So for our listeners, if you have any comments with relation to sound quality, please leave it in the comments section. So thank you for that. This is entirety of that podcast is thanks to you, Carrie. <laughs> Yay, I feel so cool. Yeah, you are. You are. So anyway... Um, Listen, so so we already mentioned that you're hosting a number of podcasts. Uh, and so maybe you're going to talk a little bit about that. What are those podcasts where where our listeners can, can find them? And especially this one special podcast. Sure. Well, I have been in the podcasting realm for well over 10 years. And like most people, I have more than one interest. My main interest is the outdoors, hunting, fishing, camping, etc., but I am a huge lover of music. My guy is a musician, so I host the Metal oh. Chick podcast, which interviews local musicians here in Milwaukee, in the Milwaukee, Wisconsin area, some other musicians as well. But really, I'm just using it as a platform to help promote the local music scene. And then I host a Creative Mind Fiction, which is just little three to 10 minute short stories narrated by my co-host Alice Nelson and I. We write most of them ourselves. We co-moderate a writer's group and um, mm. with bi-weekly writing prompts. And we take those stories and we narrate them. And to be honest with you, that one is probably close second favorite. I don't know. You know, everybody has different, different, interests i love to read i love to write mm -hmm. so let's start a podcast i love music so let's start a podcast so <laughs> all right but my so there's number of them now. yeah but my main one is hunt fish travel which has been a labor of love for me since i started it and mm -hmm. it's just it's tips tricks it's random episodes just me talking about you know what i've experienced on a hunt or a fishing trip but it's mostly interviewing people where to go, where to stay, where to go fishing, where to go hunting. Because let's face it, when you're planning a trip, whether it's hunting, fishing, camping, the hunting, fishing, and camping part is probably minimal when it comes to the planning 
and the organization that it takes to put together a trip, especially an out-of-state hunter trip. So that is the mission of Hunt Fish Travel. Great, great. And obviously, uh, Hunt Fish Travel podcast is available on all major podcasting platforms. Yeah. So whenever listeners go, they, they, they can find out. Yeah, exactly. iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you might listen to your normal podcasts. And yeah. speaking, speaking of mm -hmm. firsts, Hunt Fish Travel was the first and for many, many years only hosted female-hosted hunting podcast. So I thought that was kind of cool. Oh, all right. Yeah. That is very cool. Great. Okay, so you're not new to the firsts in the podcasting. <laughs> no. so it's, it's very good. It's very good. Listen, you, you already addressed one of my questions because, because I was wondering um, why hunt fish and travel. Um, mm -hmm. And you kind of already answered that, that uh, travel is a big part if you going for a hunting trip or a fishing trip so tell me is is the podcast is focusing on kind of hunting and fishing um trips or endeavors something out of ordinary because i'm assuming that every hunter or angler they're hunting or fishing in their backyard or right. their you know nearby river or whatever is that something that you're generally not covering on your podcast and you're more interested in, you know, oh, you know, this this bucket list hunt or, or, you know, some great fishing holidays or anything like that? Yes and no. I, Hutfish Travel really, st it really was born out of a need for my want of knowledge. And originally it was just um, like interviews and tips and tactics on bow hunting or whatever. And then it kind of morphed into this whole thing where I was like, so I spend way more time planning an out-of-state elk hunt than anything else. Mm -hmm. So most of the episodes genuinely are bucket list hunts. If you, for example, the elk hunt, if you want to go hunting in Colorado for elk, I have an episode that will tell you everything from application deadlines, where to go, where to stay, camping, hotels, guides, outfitters, what you should bring along, rifle restrictions or bow restrictions or even just tips on, you know, taking your weapons on an airplane to, I mean, yeah. nuts to boats, everything you would need to know to plan that out-of-state hunt you could find in that episode. And those are the types of episodes right. I love doing because everybody sits, everybody sits on the internet and looks up these exotic hunts that we really can't afford half the time, but we love looking at them and we love kind of going through that planning process because that's just as exciting as the actual hunt sometimes. Yeah, so. I, I, I agree with that. And then there is also the element that, um, you know, if, if people can learn and, and, right. and they can use your podcast as a resource to find out the information they need. Uh, when they're planning these this big trips. Yeah, or even hunts they never even thought about going on or hunts that they might be mm -hmm. sort of interesting, like a, a doll sheep hunt is extremely hard. It's expensive. It's hard to get the tags, and it's a tough hunt. I don't know that my 70-year-old dad would be in physical shape to go on a hunt like that. He might say he wants to, but after listening to this episode, he might be like, okay, that's not really for me. Let's go hunt turkeys in Florida instead. You know? <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah. Is that is that the uh, hunt that some people are applying for 40 years to get a Yes, exactly. Or is it it's big home shot? Well, 
there's there's quite a few species out there that I cannot believe the wait times and just the expense. It's just crazy. Mm. Yeah. Can you maybe lay out for our listeners uh, these, um, you know, species of sheep and, and what's the difference and, and, and kind of explain a little bit about, you know, the whole, because this is like a whole separate um, kind of genre of, 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 hiding, of hunting, really, um, sheep hunting, right? Yes. So there is a Grand Slam. Um, there's, there's actually a lot of different species. And there's, oh gosh, uh, bighorn sheep, there's doll sheep, which are high country. They live in, um, I want to say, and I'm not a sheep expert, but I want to say like the Alaska, like upper northern Canada. And then you have like the desert bighorn, which is a very small sheep, but it's like ridiculous to hunt because it's in Mexico. You can, it's just, you can't really... Uh, it's just one one of those hunts where you're just like, oh, I'd love to do that, but I'll never get a tag for it. There's stone sheep, which is one of the most expensive sheep in Alaska. To, oh, yeah. There's so many different species and there's so many different countries that you can actually go and hunt sheep in. There's Yeah, because then in Himalaya, you can also f- f- hunt this blue sheep. Right. Or, you know. I mean, it's just crazy. There's... And there's... Yeah. One of the fun things, like I'd love to do the grand American sheep slam, but I'm still working on my turkey slam, much less another species, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Is that like you need to kill a turkey in every state to have one of those slams? Those, those turkey slams? It's usually slams? by species. So, for example, like the turkey slam that I'm working on mm. now, there's the Rio mm-hmm. Grande, there's the Miriam, Eastern turkeys, and Osceola. I have the Eastern and the okay. Rio. I've been trying mm-hmm. two years in a row. I've gotten skunked for the Miriam turkeys in South Dakota. And then mm-hmm. the final one can only be hunted in Florida. So once you okay. get that all four, you can submit, you get like a certificate and a pin or something. But to me, it's just a way, mm-hmm. it's just a motivation to get out there and hunt some different species that aren't native to Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's it's, it's it's great to have a, like a goal or like a, you know, this little extra something um, in, in what we do. Right. Okay. Um, so just, just want to go back for a second to sheep hunting. Um, and, and I'm really excited to, excited to, to be able to talk about this. There. Um, so there's, it's, like we said, it's extremely challenging uh, physically yeah. because sometimes you just need to have a, like a mountaineering gear and, and kind of to chase the sheep. And, and there's extremely difficult to get a tag. So, you know, I'm aware that not of all our, our listeners are aware of the tag system. Sure. Can you explain a little bit how does it work in the United States? The, well, you have to almost break it down by state and by species in the U.S. Because in Wisconsin, yeah. for example, we, we have... So you buy your license. So say in Wisconsin, I want to go bear hunting. I buy my $24 bear license, but then I have to apply for a tag to actually hunt bear. And by doing so, because we don't have a huge bear population in, in Wisconsin, unfortunately we have a seven year wait. So I've never actually applied for one because you can go to Minnesota 
and buy one right over the counter. <laughs> like, so, you know, so <laughs> there are so many different species, especially in the Western states where the animal populations and the herd populations aren't so great. There's a lottery system. Mm-hmm. So you apply for the tag. Sometimes you get drawn, sometimes you don't. But you can always just apply for preference points. And that point would get you a better, for example, I uh, this year for sturgeon spearing, I just put in for a preference point for the up rivers, which is a very limited draw. The third year I did a preference point. So next year I'll have four preference points to put towards, which will make my odds better in being one of the whatever it is like 800 people that might draw that tag so the western states oh the western states are even more complicated and i on the rare occasion that i do get to hunt out west i tend to go with a guide just because they know what they're doing with these crazy lottery systems and the application deadlines is different for each one because the seasons are different and it's just insanity so really yeah there are whole websites oh, that are explaining seriously. which which state and which species and all the you know like you said time right. and crazy. all that system of the preference points and then there's i i think there's also like an out of state and and, yes. and yes. residence tags yes there's resident and non-resident tags so in like wisconsin we have a deer herd that's like a million deer in the state of Wisconsin, mm-hmm. anybody can come to Wisconsin and buy a deer tag right over the counter for relatively inexpensive. Mm-hmm. In yeah. Utah, there are certain counties, certain units where they're draw only. You have to put in for that. And if you don't get drawn, you can get an over the counter tag for say mule deer mm-hmm. or elk in a different unit. Mm-hmm. But everybody wants those big trophy bucks, so they're trying for that lottery. Mm-hmm. So it's just crazy. You almost yeah. need like a spreadsheet of what species and what state you already applied for. <laughs> what the actual? Speaking about planning. Speaking about planning. Oh about planning. <laughs> but listen, so so you know, I'm I'm aware that um, a lot of listeners, especially from Europe, they're they're kind of like wow you know why why anyone even hunts um but overall the the, the there is a purpose for all yes. that right and that purpose is to manage the population and make sure we have uh, animals to hunt and the herd is healthy and so on yes. tell me what's how's how this system is what is the perception of the system among hunters so is it is it generally something like oh it's unnecessarily complicated or is it more of a like, yeah, that's a good job that we actually have that and we just have to apply to the rules? I think it just depends on what camp you're in. The average back, you know, backyard hunter from Wisconsin who is used to just going to Walmart, grabbing a $20 tag, might look at a $750 tag in Colorado and all the hoops that you have to jump mm-hmm. through and think that's it's too much work. It's too much because we're just used to being able to just go and buy the tag where Mm -hmm. someone like me who is really conscious of conservation, I'm happy to jump through those hoops because that means that the herd that I'm hunting is a healthy one. And I understand that all these rules and all these limitations are in place. Like you said, to maintain the health of the herd, 
so that it's not just a free-for-all so everybody can just go to Colorado, buy an elk keg, shoot up, you know, and destroy the herd, and then there's nothing. So yeah. it is, it's really important yeah. to have these, these networks and these systems in place. This will, I, I, yeah, and I said to me, so I yeah, just, go ahead. everybody's going to always bitch about how, how complicated it is. It's ridiculous. It's too confusing, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. Well, that's good because if you're not going to take the time to figure it out and do it right, I don't really want you in the woods anyway. And that's the truth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that's a, that's a very good point. And, you know, I mentioned that many times that um, the conservation system uh, in the United States, it's, it's really great. And, and even the system where uh, part of a tax from all the hunting and fishing gear that goes straight into the conservation. Yeah. That's, that's, I mean, that's a, that's a great, great uh, way to ensure uh, really flow of money for the conservation efforts. So that's, right. that's great. Listen, so uh, there's one other thing that is quite interesting, and I would like you to kind of explain that to our listeners. And this is public lands in the United States. What is the difference between public lands and private lands? And what is the difference for to hunt public lands and, and private lands? Sure. It's basically private land is owned by landowners. Public land is any land open to the public for, for recreational activities. Not all public land is open to hunting. Some of it's only open, like some are, are wildlife sanctuaries. You can go and take photographs there. You can go and take your dog there and go hiking. You can hunt in some of them. Most, and even like we have state and federal parks, campgrounds mm -hmm. that are open to hunting as well. Everything is very strictly regulated. The, but there are also programs that say you own a thousand acres in Wisconsin and you're retired mm -hmm. and you're just kind of looking, you don't do anything with the land. Maybe you're looking for some tax write-off. There are several mm -hmm. programs that you can enter into to get tax breaks by allowing the public onto your land for those recreational activities. No, most of the time it's hunting. Um, yeah. There are some programs where a hunter may have to sign in before they're allowed. You might have to get permission or just let the landowner know that you're there. There are other programs where it's just a free-for-all. It's just like public land. It's open to the public. Anyone can hunt there as long as they are respectful. You know, they're not tearing it up with yeah. their trucks and stuff. Yeah. Public yeah. land, I, I, private I, air. Mm -hmm. There's, I know what you're going to ask me too about, because there's a lot of controversy going on right now. <laughs> yeah. So before before we go into a controversy, okay. I, I I suppose the the thing that is that is kind of unique um, is that the, and what I always saying that this this is so sometimes I think like Americans try to do everything so it's not like in in Europe right because like there is no concept of public land because there was always a king or duke or prince sure. who owned the land and traditionally every piece of land is owned um, either by landowners or by state but then it's owned by a state it's not open for 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 public um, and i think this is so great in america that that is actually and i think theodore roosevelt was the one who who established that he yeah. said like well actually this land is owned by everybody yeah. by all the citizens yep which, which, which is which is unique yeah the 
a lot of the money that we pay for these hunting fees and licenses and fishing licenses and stuff, all that goes back into maintaining these public lands that are open for everyone's use. State park stickers, hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And taxes go towards it too, but it's it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. It's it's public land. It's publicly funded in essence. And it's open to yeah. everyone. You don't have to ask somebody's permission. Of course, you'll get that. It's open. Remember, it's open to everyone. I mean, everyone. So mm-hmm. I'm really sorry that you spent you know all your scouting this one particular spot and then Joe Schmuckatelli came in and is sitting four yards from you. <laughs> Yeah, that sucks, but it's public land. You don't like it? Buy some yeah. private land. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And tell me why um, kind of hunting on the public land or harvesting an animal on the public land, it seems to me like it kind of, uh, you get much more kudos for that. Yeah. Uh, is it more difficult or why? A hundred times more difficult. And there's several right. factors of that. For one thing, you have more hunting pressure. If you own 100 acres and you own it, you get to dictate who goes on there. You might not have anyone on that property all year long. So those deer are comfortable, they're safe, they're feeling safe there, you're feeding them, you know, you can pattern them. Where public land, you might have 100 acres, there's thousands of people tromping around all year long. People with dogs and kids, and you know, people. So those deer are smarter. They're w- much more wary of people. They're very, they stay yeah, away. they find the thickest stuff. They're going to figure out where the people don't go. That's where they're going to go. They're going to pattern people yes, as well. Yes, indeed. They are very smart and they will <laughs> learn where the people are and where not to be. Um, yeah. So this is very interesting because I thought my, my, my thoughts is like, okay, uh, on the public land, you can actually go to complete wilderness where you're on your own and then you don't have hunting pressure. So what you just said is kind of completely the opposite of what I was thinking. So that's true to a point. And just using Wisconsin as an example, there's a highway like that almost cuts Wisconsin in half. So you say you have northern Wisconsin and southern Wisconsin. Southern Wisconsin is all agriculture. It's all mostly cornfields and dairy farms. And that's where most of our deer population is because that's where the food is. Mm-hmm. Northern Wisconsin, we call it the big woods. You can go up there mm-hmm. and you will not see like another living creature for hours wandering around because it's so big and it's so vast. And there are only some, a million deer sounds like a lot, but there are only so many deer in say a hundred acre parcel. And those deers are moving through and they're traveling yeah. So it, you can, you can absolutely go up there and they might not even have seen a human for six months. That is true. But the population up North is a lot less. We have counties that have like, cause our winters are so harsh that has like a hundred percent deer kill. There are counties where you can't even hunt because there's no deer no. there. So I mean, like, so it's kind of a horse apiece depending on where you go. And two, they might notice that you're there. They might, you know, smell you. So they're going to stay away. They know that property better than you do. Yeah. You'll never find them. Good luck yeah. finding them. Exactly. Exactly. So, so in other words, if you're willing to take on the challenge and, and go hike into the wilderness, 
and risk that you might not even see that yep. deer. The benefit is that you're on your own. If you go through hunt public land, but something is easily accessible, then obviously it's easily accessible for right. more people. Right. And two, you have, say you have a hundred acres up north where nobody's going on and you have a hundred acres down south where thousands of people are tromping through. Those deer are moving. They're constantly getting bumped. They're constantly getting pushed. So the chances of them walking in front of your deer stand might be a little better in that aspect too. Right. That's very interesting because you, you kind of corrected my, you know, uh, a little bit idealistic view of, of this uh, animal animal okay. utopia where they're just running around. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah, wish. Yeah. No, but but I I was aware that there's gonna you know you might yeah. not see the animal, yeah. uh, but I was more connecting hunting public land with you're on your own and it's really you know seldom you find anyone. Well, this is not. not it's really not the because there are so many small parcels too of of hunting land so we have the ice age trail in wisconsin where the icebergs mm -hmm. you know moves through and there are lots of parks and lots mm -hmm. of of hiking you can actually hunt along those trails but it's like mm -hmm. like a four acre parcel <laughs> Um, listen, so so you already mentioned some some issues and con controversy uh, that is going on right now around public land. Can you can you please explain that to our listeners? What is this all about, and um, what's your opinion? Because like everything that is controversial, and there are two sides. I'm not not assuming on which sides you are. So can you can you just elaborate on that and tell what is the issue and what do you think about it? There, and just real briefly, because it's it's been an issue for forever and ever and ever since we since the inception of public lands. Really, the there was a bill that was submitted that would essentially take millions of acres of public land, a federally controlled public land, and turn it over to states. A state is gonna implement a lot more regulations and potentially have the power to sell that off to private parties. Obviously the hunters and the fishermen are like, well, wait a minute, we pay our taxes, we buy our fishing licenses, our hunting licenses, and now you're taking all this land away from us and giving it to private entities who may not even allow us to hunt there anymore. So yeah, I, I don't know. I, I can see both sides of the argument. I really don't understand what the necessity is. The big brouhaha is that, you know, it's really expensive to maintain these federal lands and states may have more money. They may implement state taxes that could help fund it. I, I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't really see the, I don't know. I, without reading through the bill, I think just leave it the way it is. I don't understand why it's working. And if you need more money, then add two dollars to the hunting licenses. We're happy to pay it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, uh, I'm sure that even you know uh, hunters in Europe are aware to some extent of the issue because obviously uh, a lot of media and videos are flowing from from United States. Uh, 
you know they 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 kind of to some extent aware of that um but yeah i i i get i get what yeah. you're saying um how does it look like so do you think it's it's gonna be because you said this is problem been forever and ever uh, and do you see this like well there's nothing out of ordinary happening now and you know there's always been that way or do you feel like this time around it's you know like a more noise around that or this is more serious um i think it's a little more serious i know a lot of it and again i apologize i am not an expert on this particular subject i just go by what i read no you'll be the bigger expert than anyone <laughs> of, of, of us and most of our listeners so the um If I remember correctly, a lot of it has to do with the accessibility to crude oil and being able to drill. So, aha, uh-huh. you know when you, uh-huh. yeah. Oil. So when you get into that, oh, it's just all a dollars game. And I don't necessarily want a bunch of oil rigs either popping up all over, you know, my public hunting land. I think that would be terrible because not only I guess hunting is yeah. Dumb. Well, you're destroying the land. You're and yes, I understand the need for it, but you're destroying the land you're taking away habitat from the species that may already be struggling and i just don't think it's necessary so <laughs> yeah okay so uh, good 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 to know and um, thanks thanks for that uh, listen let's move to mo- to maybe maybe with lighter subjects okay. um we were talking about uh lots, uh, lots of you know in in your podcast and and here about fishing Yeah. Um tell me what 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 fishing you're doing? What's your favorite type of fishing? I love walleye fishing and I love love oh. love drowning worms. Just drowning worms. <laughs> I just love sitting out there. I don't even have to catch anything, but I love walleye fishing. <laughs> walleye is probably one of the main staples here in Wisconsin as far as as um, you know, good eating fish. You go to Friday fish fries, they always have walleye walleye on the menu. <laughs> so, it. it's uh I love walleye fishing and I love I love fly fishing, fly fishing for bass or crappies or whatever, or bluegill or whatever. Mm-hmm. But walleye fishing is definitely walleye fishing. Yeah. And do you fish in the ocean? You know, I don't get to because I'm in Wisconsin. So, I don't get out to yeah. the ocean too often. <laughs> yeah, but I mean like one of the trips, you know, or like um You know, I just I just remember that your one of your recent episodes of a podcast. Oh yeah, uh, I think it was about the fishing Costa Rica. Costa Rica, I'd love to go. I have never actually fished in the ocean. Isn't that crazy? Mm. I've been on many trips to the ocean. We're always like, let's mm-hmm. do a, you know, let's do a a deep sea dive or whatever, or a deep sea fishing mm-hmm. charter. And we, for whatever reason, we just never have. That I'd love to go to Belize. Or I'd love to fish mm-hmm. in the Bahamas, to be honest with you. I'd love right. to go fly fishing right. in the Bahamas. Yeah. For for big, strong fish. Yes. Um I, I was I was was really you know, uh, when I moved to Ireland, there was also kind of like a learning curve to to kind of learn to to, to fish in the sea and fish in the ocean. Um and, and just the mass of water compared to fishing in the river or in a lake. It's 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 different. The rig is heavier. Yeah. The the rod is heavier. The fish is stronger. It's it's, it's completely completely different. It's like a learning curve. So well, it's 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 quite exciting. And even because, like um, 
And I guess it's probably just because I, you know, grew up fishing, casting and fly fishing and stuff. Mm -hmm. I've got, I've done some of those, the big charters, like on Lake Michigan, where you are just uh, trolling and stuff. And I don't find that to be as enjoyable as Mm -hmm. say fly fishing where you're constantly moving and you're constantly active, but that's just personal preference. Yeah, I know. I know. I, I also prefer kind of spinning, uh, fishing. Yeah. Be- just because you say, like you say, uh, you're more active. You're kind of pursuing a fish, um, rather like a kind of bottom fishing, stationary fishing, yeah. where you kind of try to to attract a fish to your to your place. And on the trolling side, um, I had some some um, experience. I would say with trolling, we were we were uh, fishing for catfish in Spain. So. Spain, especially uh, Rio Ebro, is known for population of a big catfish, like a huge, huge catfish. And um, and we went for a trip for for you know for a catfish for trolling. Um, and we ended up it it, it the trip took uh, I think it was like a six days. Oh my gosh! And it started always every day at four a.m. And at four a.m. we were making sandwiches and get on the boat. Um, well, it was still dark. So it was kind of cold, uh, and we start trolling, and we were trolling stretch over the river, which was you know not to lie, perhaps three kilometers, and we were just going back and forth, back and <laughs> forth. So you know it was quite cold, and then the sun was rising, and uh, it was becoming very hot, like in Spain. So and and we were just on this tiny plastic boat, just going <laughs> oh back and God. forth, like a stretch over three kilometers. And that routine, we're going like till 10 p.m. where the sun was down. And then we were coming back, uh, shower, clean up the gear, and go to sleep because the next day, 4 a.m., we're back on the boat. And it was like a six days. It was like, well, we were living on right. this small boat. Um, so we were joking that this is more boring than driving a bus because at least you have a bus stops and we're just like going back and forth, back and forth. <laughs> so that's a challenge. That's Anyway, listen. Uh, you mentioned you mentioned uh, fishing walleye, and w- what's your uh, what's your um, opinion about catch and release? Catch and release fishing. Are you do you think it's a great? Do you think it's not so great? Do you like it? Do you not like it? What's what's your view on that? Um, I tend to I tend to fish for things I'm going to eat, but I do a lot of catch and release. There's just sometimes where I'm just like, eh. I know the population in this lake isn't the greatest. Like, I don't think I would, I would always catch and release northern pike or muskies, you know, the bigger, larger fish mm-hmm. that take longer to, to grow and maybe are dependent on the size of the body of water as to how many fish would be in that water. Mm-hmm. You know, not like bluegills where you can have a million of them, where you have a smaller mm-hmm. lake, you might only have a certain amount of muskies. I don't think it's necessary to take that home, take some pictures, have a replica made if you want. You're not really going to eat them because they taste like crap. Let them go. You know, let them go for somebody else to right. enjoy as well. Walleyes, however, we have we have um, we have specific regulations. You can eat, only keep walleyes within a certain inch range. Like the smaller ones, you got to go back, and the ones over, I don't know, whatever it is, like 26 inches, have to go back as well which is good because really the eaters are that 18 to 24 inch anyway, you know, so Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a big fan of catch and release. 
Okay, that's good. Listen, and just just when you were talking about it, is the regulation related to fishing also that complex? Like for hunting, do you also need to apply for a license? And there are you have a you know open season for different species, and you need to really uh, follow closely what's going on. You do. You, it's not there. Really, aren't any lottery systems like with hunting? Anybody can go get a fishing license. But yes, there are certain seasons and certain date ranges. And that's to protect the spawning females or um, mm-hmm. certain times of the, de- of the year when they may be more aggressive and easier to catch. It's not really fair. So, mm-hmm. and certain bodies of water, you may only take three walleyes on this river, but you can take five walleyes on this lake. So, yeah, regulations are pretty important. I, I know when people pick up our hunting and fishing regulation booklets, they're like, oh my God, how am I going to remember all of this? But it really is beneficial. They have apps, they have booklets you can take. I mean, it's not hard. You go to this lake, you know, you can catch an unlimited amount of bullheads, but you can only take one muskie and three walleyes. I mean, yeah. Yeah. But you know, I think that at the end of the day, um, experience hunters and anglers they they more targeting you know particular species yeah and then they're targeting that in particular area or in particular body of water right so then it's not that complicated right so is it like a case like a someone like a newbie rolls in and they think like oh i'm gonna go fishing yeah. right and for them fishing is like everything and then they they need to think they need to remember everything uh but then when you're really targeting a fish and it's like, well, I'm after musky. So then you all of a sudden only need to know the regulation about the musky and about the body in, in the body of water that you're going to fish. So then it's not that bad. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, I think it might scare, especially like you said, someone who's new to fishing, it might scare them a little bit. You're not going to get a ticket if you accidentally catch something out of season that you weren't already fishing for as long as you don't bring it in the boat, you know, cut the line, let it go or whatever. There's, I mean, there's no way that you can control X, Y, Z species of fish that you're not supposed to be fishing for. You can't control them and say, no, don't bite my hook. I mean, you know, so like, I do think it scares people a little bit. I think as long as you're not breaking the rules, if, if you're not fishing for a walleye, let them go catch and release. It's, it's fine. Yeah. And, and I also think that even in hunting, um, there is, you know, if you make a mistake, uh, you should self-report and you yes. probably get away with that, you know, because you're you're honest. And if you made an honest mistake, uh, I think it's it's different when you try, you know, don't do something on, on purpose. Right. Yeah, right. Exactly. Listen, and tell me the enforcement the, 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 of all these regulations. It seems to be... Um, quite well quite good so is there a, a lot of uh kind of officers uh, i don't know what's the proper term how yeah. to call them uh, the conservation wardens, o- yep. wardens conservation officers there are there yeah. are a lot and they do their job well in my opinion okay i know it's a hassle okay. oh my god that they, they stopped and checked for my fishing license you know what i don't mind stop put down your rod take five minutes show them your fishing license and they're on their way you know, it's very quick. The ones, yeah. the ones they're complaining are the ones who have gotten busted and end up because 
I don't know about other states, but I know in Wisconsin, I'm sure it is this way in other states, but I know in Wisconsin, if you get caught doing something illegal, say you're fishing without a fishing line or a fishing license, they can take your fishing rod, all your tackle. They could technically even take your truck if they find fish in your truck. I mean, and on top of that, you get fines. You can, you know, if you're caught poaching, you can have your license hunting license privileges taken away for years and years on top of fines and stuff it's a big deal and i i'm thankful for it because that keeps people honest for the most part exactly i think i think it's for the good of everybody yes preserving that and that's also where our tax money goes for for that right yeah great Listen, um, so talking about the fishing, do you think that fishing is like a younger brother of hunting? And I'm reason I'm ask, asking that um, because I started with fishing and it was like, to me, it was like a progression from fishing to hunting. Or do, So do you think that fishing is like a equal and to hunting and just a different thing and it's not, you know, inferior in any way? No, I, you know, I would almost think of it more as like the older sister, the one who kind of teaches you and gets you and makes you want to do stuff or the older brother. There are more fishermen than hunters. Like say in North America, there's 30 million license holders out there today with fishing licenses. There's only about 12 million hunters. So the number is almost double. I think fishing is easier. It's definitely a, a less expensive entry point than hunting mm-hmm. you can go mm-hmm. to the local store and you can buy a $30 fishing rod and it'll probably come with some jigs and you can go spend far $4 on some night crawlers and you're fishing you know yeah. where hunting is a little more expensive to get into mm-hmm. and I think there's more opportunities for fishing as well so I don't know I wouldn't say it's like the the gateway drug to hunting or anything but I do got it I do think that fishing is more popular than hunting for sure in North America, especially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, I, I was just thinking when he was saying that I was just thinking that also in Europe, you have quite more um, you know, stringent uh, gun laws. So also yes. there is a, this, this, this entry point is much higher because you need to go through the, all the paperwork and, you know, before we can like Ireland, where I, where I live, it's, it's probably most restrictive country in Europe when it comes to guns. Uh, and some laws are just, just, just ridiculous. So uh, you really have to jump all the hoops to even get a basic hunting rifle. And, yeah. you know, to be honest, when I was thinking about getting into hunting, I my first thought was like, oh, I'm gonna go bow hunting because bow seemed to me kind of closer to the fishing rod. Um, and then I thought I don't have to go through all the hassle of getting permit for the gun and whatever. But then it turns out that the bow hunting is banned in most of Europe for some reason. I know that's so, crazy. So I do that. Yeah, it is. It is. It's 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 apparently inhumane for yeah. I, oh. I don't even want to go there, right? Um, but so so that's what I have to then, you know, apply for the permit and all that and, and, and end up with a gun, yeah. <laughs> with a rifle. Um, listen, you mentioned uh, turkey hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, is that true? That turkey hunting is a, have a, like a special place uh, in the whole 
time all types of hunting hunting like 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 sheep hunting and turkey hunting is also like a, this little special flavor to it yes i think that i think and again just using like the midwest most people hunt deer because that's what granddad mm-hmm. hunted and that's and there are some states like wisconsin we our turkeys got hunted out we didn't even have turkeys for decades so then they were reintroduced yeah. and now they're prevalent Turkey hunting is so much fun because turkeys are interactive. They're, they'll talk back to you. You get them gobbling and they're running around like maniacs. Deer are quiet. You kind of got to be in the right place at the right time and hope one walks by. You can bring them turkeys in. So I think that when you ask somebody who's been turkey hunting or deer hunting, they will definitely say deer hunting or turkey hunting is more exciting you know, there's going to be the exception of the rule, of course, those people who get to hunt the big bucks all the time. Yes, I'm sure they'll say it was yeah. more exciting. However, most people, like if I were going to introduce somebody new to hunting, to hunting, I would take them turkey hunting before I'd take them deer hunting. Because right. especially like children, oh my Lord, I'd never, <laughs> turkey hunting is the way to go to introduce a child. Because like I said, they're talking to you. They get to use the calls and stuff where deer hunting, okay, 12-year-old child, now you need to sit still for 14 hours in the cold <laughs> and not make any noise. And you know what yeah. I mean? Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. That might, be, that might be difficult to pull off. Yeah, so turkey hunt And turkey hunters, like, really hardcore turkey hunters are crazy. They're going, like me, I love, I love, 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 love turkey hunting out of state because mm-hmm. they're just one of those species. They're a bird species you can... If you if they're not coming to you, you can go and find them. So it gives you an excuse to explore. It's usually less expensive to get a, a non-resident turkey tag than it is, say, an elk or a deer tag. It's just so fun. And there's so many cool places to go turkey hunting. Yeah. And then you have your your, your turkey slam yes. waiting for you. Oh, I gotta get it done. Sure, I'm sure you will. I'm sure you will. <laughs> Listen, um so so Deer hunting now is deer hunting and elk hunting considered different things? Yes, because like a elk is like a big deer. They, yeah, they're in the same species. They um they're cervids, but like I mean, you can break it down. Even deer hunting, there's different species of deer. There's like thirty different. Yeah. I wrote a blog once, and I was like appalled at the amount of species of deer, huntable species. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's. In, in the United States. Yeah, just in the U.S. But the two main I ones... I thought it was like three. White tail. Oh, God, no. Um, then the black tail, and then the mule deer. There's like a whole bunch of them on the East Coast. Well, black tails are a subspecies of mule deer. So, yeah. I mean, there's species and subspecies, and it's just insanity. But, mm. yeah, mule deer... And then you have a white... slam as well. Yes, you do. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. But yeah, mule deer and white-tailed deer, I mean, totally different tactics. Elk are, are, are really quite different. Their rack structure is completely different mm-hmm. than, say, a white tail or a black tail or a white or a mule deer. So Sure, sure. And this is also, again, like a carries tremendous amount of kudos to, to, to hunt elk. Because, again, oh the retrieving then is, is the challenge as well because you have a lot of meat and you have to carry that out, yeah. especially if you hunt, uh, hike uh, 
you know number of miles where you kill the the the, the elk right yep packing it out and a lot of elk hunts well so my friend mia anstein wonderful wonderful lady she also has a podcast it's a great podcast um if you what's the podcast it's uh it's called mac outdoors and i will send you the link it's a great podcast she's wonderful she took me we put it in the show notes yeah she took me on my first ever elk hunt last year and i am not Mm -hmm. kidding when i say it was probably i didn't even see an elk well we saw i'll I'll tell you the story in a second but um Mm -hmm. it was such a cool experience in wisconsin you don't take pack horses anywhere you walk in if you walk a mile into public land it's that's far so mm-hmm. we get there and we took like pack horses up into the san juan mountains it was like the coolest thing ever i was like this is amazing we didn't even see any elk up in the mountains we saw some down by her property mm-hmm. but even the, even though we didn't even see i i was like i'm so glad we have horses because if we were to kill something up here Oh my God, we'd be so screwed because it would take forever <laughs> for us to get this, you know, thousand pound animal out. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know how these yeah. people do it. They pack them out on their shoulders and I'm just like, oh my gosh, that's so much work. <laughs> like, uh, I, I suppose they, they, they make a few trips. Yeah. Yep. Quarter them out and make trips, but that's all. It's a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. It's not this, not exactly you know drag the deer and hanging up. Right, <laughs> I know. Like we're so spoiled in Wisconsin. Like you know, you get the deer drag and you drag it out for half a mile, and you're huffing and puffing, and you're annoyed that it took so long. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. Oh God! Listen, I have a, I have a very very question that is really you know we have that you have that that tag system, right? Yeah. So we have your deer tag, you have your elk tag. And uh, you kill the deer or elk, and then you you know, you know uh, kind of punch the tag, I suppose is the expression, and then you put that tag on the antler or on, on the carcass, right? Mm-hmm. So then when you're being stopped or, or asked questions about one of these game wardens, you can say, well, yeah, this is my tag, this is my kill, that's fine. How long do you need to keep the tag with the carcass? You should never take it off. It should be on there at all times until Are you, you take, kidding me? Yep, until you take it to the processor. So, oh, okay. Yeah. And okay, then, so so this so this is what I'm this is what I'm asking because I I saw like a you know mounts on the wall, and and tag was still on the antlers, and then I was like wondering, okay, if you actually cut that uh, animal and you freeze it and then you ate it and you know you you're done with it. Do you still need to keep the tag or is it just up to the point where you're taking to the processor or it's, if you're cutting it yourself? Yeah, it's up to you the know, point. When you arrive at home, it. you can take it out. Right. Yep. And it's really just for, especially like if you're transporting, it's just so that if you were to get stopped, the warden will know mm-hmm. that the date, time, and that it was taken legally and that you actually had a tag. Once you get it into your garage and you're butchering it yourself, it doesn't matter at that point. But, it's, okay. but also when you take it to the processor, it helps the processor identify which deer is whose. <laughs> so it's kind of important. Okay. Yeah, 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 obviously. Okay, but my, my, my question was like, once I have a animal, like you said, in my garage or in my home, home then I'm good. Yeah. I can 
take out the tag and no warden comes, you know, knocking to my doors and it's like, hey, that deer that you have in the backyard, you know, where's your tag for it? Yeah, as far as I know, once that, once you have it in your garage, I don't think it, I don't think you have to have it on there because, mm-hmm. I mean, oh, I'd have to look up the laws, but I'm pretty sure it doesn't matter at that point because then you're butchering it and you could... I guess in theory, a warden could get a report that maybe you took a deer illegally where they might come to your house and ask for proof. But at that point, you've got the tag off and it's punched. And I mean, obviously, it's been attached to something. So. Okay. So just just to be sure, to be sure, keep that tag in a kind of binder somewhere, file it. And in case the warden comes knocking, a week later right because once it's up on the wall though you don't have to keep the tag on it or anything mm-hmm. sure sure um listen i also recently seen one of your tweets about hunting industry and uh, uh i'm jumping a little bit here um, okay. from topic to topic about the topic about the you know anti hunters and I, I was wondering how strong and if that strong movement right now kind of people who are opposing hunting and uh then you said like you know like the, the, the hunting industry which is like a serious big industry is uh, handling the whole situation in a, in a great way i think that so over the years obviously with the advent of the internet hunter harassment has increased there are mm-hmm. people who invite the controversy mm-hmm. because they know It's going to provide them media attention. Mm -hmm. Those people, I I don't care for them. I think it's, that's garbage. The Mm -hmm. most, if I post a picture of me posing with a giraffe, I am Mm -hmm. going to get backlash. I know this, I'm posting it knowing that. And if you don't know that, I don't know what, who raised you because that's just common knowledge. You're probably going to get more backlash posing with a giraffe than with a white-tailed deer because especially like yes. in the u.s we don't have giraffes running around all the only time we get to see a giraffe is in the zoo so mm. over in africa so it's like you killed a pet yes over in africa it's not that big of a deal honest to god because they eat them it's no you know so you have to be conscious of what you're posting online if you're not interested in getting that kind of backlash and handling it, then don't post it. You don't have to post anything, FYI. I think yeah. that most people handle it really well. If you ignore them, they'll go away. I mean, feeding, feeding the trolls is a mistake in my opinion. I shared that. I shared an email screenshot of somebody who signed me up for like a, a PETA. Like, <laughs> I saw, I saw that. Like, how did that happen? I don't know, jerk. Somebody got a hold of my email address and was like, "I'll sign her up for this PETA newsletter, or whatever." I was like, "You jerks," but I, whatever. I made a joke out of it because it's funny. I don't care. I get emails. I get people posting on my website horrible, terrible, terrible, terrible things. I just go through and delete them. I'm not going to engage with them mm-hmm. because that's what they're looking for. They're looking for your attention. I am too busy to spend time mm-hmm. in an internet fight with somebody who doesn't understand the basic t- 
tenets of conservation anyway. I'm not going yeah. to change their mind. I'm. J- there may be some out there who are asking questions who might be anti-hunters. If you ask me a question in a respectful way, I have no problem engaging with you. We might not agree. I am okay with that. Mm-hmm. I am okay with you being a vegan. I am not okay with you infringing upon my rights to hunt. Just like I'm not going to infringe on your rights to not eat meat. I'm fine with that. You know, I served in the military. That's the whole point of serving my country was so that you could have that freedom to make that choice. I don't mind. What I hate is when you come at me and tell me that I shouldn't be doing something because you don't agree with it. Well, I don't care. Yeah, Yeah. You know, it's my right to do so. How tell you what to do. Yeah. And I think that a lot of these people engage with these they really go looking for a fight. Every time somebody gets in a fight with somebody, they get gain a bunch of followers, they gain some media attention. Oh Fine, go ahead. But ninety nine percent of the yeah. hunting industry handles it really well, in my opinion. Yeah, I am surprised that you said that you're getting uh, this sort of this sort of crap under under your podcast. Oh, all the time. I don't care. Oh, really? it, you know, it's just yeah. people who these armchair quarterbacks. They have nothing, they have no lives, they have nothing better to do than go out and pick a fight with somebody or try to pick a fight with somebody. They're not even half the time they don't even leave like their actual email address or something. So I can't respond to them, which is fine. I don't care because you're legitimately not worth my time. Exactly. And listen, do you think that this is more of this happening recently? No, actually, I think it's kind of petered off. There was a, oh, a time period a couple of years ago where it was just nuts, just insane. But, you know, with the advent of certain social media aspects, there were a couple of high-profile hunters out there who were stirring the pot because they wanted a TV show or whatever. And, I mean, and they'll tell you that's why they did it. They (laughs) pick a fight with Ricky Gervais because they want the attention, and all of a sudden they have a half a million followers and all this support and now they have a tv show okay whatever good for you it's it's kind of interesting you know uh, and i suppose it gives a little bit of perspective because you're you're mentioning a name and this is probably um famous personality Mm -hmm. which i heard for the first time so then it kind of puts it in perspective that someone is you know sometimes very self-important yes and you know do these things and it's like hey there are people who just go out there and hunt they have no idea like they do care yep exactly <laughs> right i know and there are people there are people who genuinely they're like i don't ever get emails and i'm like i'm happy for you it comes in spurts and waves sometimes i can go mm-hmm. months without getting a single email or comment or anything or message from somebody calling me a murderer and then all of a sudden I'll get a bunch of them. So yeah. it's just, it depends on what's going on in the world. If a lion gets killed, God help us all for six months. But, oh my God. You know, yes. like, <laughs> or a giraffe gets killed, God help us all for six months. But, yes, that's, but then, recent, that's recently yeah, an issue. <laughs> but then it dies down and nobody cares. So. Yeah, well, exactly. That was that was my point. You know, the, the infamous Cecil uh i i read somewhere else that you know a number i don't want to just die but number of months later in the same national park the wardens go out and and shoot 250 lions right 
because there was just too many of them and yep. they shipped 250 thank you very much is any one of these people crying even know about it i know no, right? they don't meanwhile they're completely oblivious to that i know meanwhile they've destroyed us that guy in minnesota like destroyed his life i mean yeah. literally put his dentistry out of you know business out of business i mean it's just insanity i know and then they just don't people are just oh it's so annoying yeah yeah not educated really right okay listen uh, before before we wrap this up yeah. uh, i just want to ask you about the question of the um again another ongoing issue with cwd chronic waste disease yes in, in deer and what they say tell us just briefly what it is uh, why it's bad and how bad that is really um from your perspective cwd chronic wasting disease um originated in wisconsin actually it originated on oh. in a deer farm near where i used to hunt many many years ago it's this is not a new problem this has been around for decades so you yak in epicenter yes <laughs> because wow. well because we have over a million white-tailed deer we have the largest herd in the country so we have more cases there's and what cwd is it's a uh it's a, a disease that it's in their glands and it's transmitted through saliva and the moisture in their noses. So here in Wisconsin, in certain areas, you cannot bait because you don't want two deer coming to the central section and maybe bumping kind of noses exchanged. and exchanging the disease. Yeah. Um, yeah. In the last few years, it has been, it's, and it's only in cervids, it's only in deer families. It's mule deer, whitetail, elk, moose, and reindeer. And it really is only, I don't know exactly when, maybe in the last 10 years, that it spread to mule deer and moose and elk. It was, for for a long time, it was exclusive to just white-tailed deer. It's right. pretty bad, especially in the upper Midwest. Um, mm. It's a horrible disease, and it's just... I don't really care to eat meat in a CWD area, even though there's no evidence that it can transfer from hum from deer to humans. Yeah. I don't know. Why take that chance? But this is like a, the, there is a similar disease in, in, in cows, right? The mad cow disease. Yes. And then in humans, Kroger-Yakov disease. There's like a one group of diseases, but it seems like they're not kind of interchangeable for the, for the one of a better word between the species. Right. Right. And luckily that's been handled where they don't have a cure for CWD. CWD is fatal. Once a deer gets it, they're done. And mm. you can test, you can, when you shoot a deer, you can have a test done. I think it's their lymph nodes that they take out. And now recently they came up with a, a test through their tonsils where they can test to see if it's CWD positive or not. And mm -hmm. I don't know. I just, Unfortunately, I do hunt, I guess I shouldn't say I wouldn't eat deer from the CWD area mm -hmm. because at this point, like most of Wisconsin, there have been reports of deer with CWD, right. but right. I, I don't know. Right. I hope they find And do you see like a decrease in the population of deer? No. Because of... Nope. No. No, you would think that it's Mother's Nature way of helping control the population, but our population is crazy. We, the DNR won't confirm it, but... I've got reports that um, state that we have over a million deer in the Wisconsin, 
which is why we give out so, I mean, half a million licenses are sold every year, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of hunters in the woods during that gun season, trying to shoot the deer and it barely makes a dent in the population. <laughs> okay. No, that's, that's interesting because, you know, I, I always have the opinion that you hear various things and you think it's, you know, the next worst thing in the world. And then you need to really speak with people who are on the ground. And like you said, you're, you're living in the epicenter when it all started. Yeah. And do you see the Denver population? No, there's actually plenty of deer. We don't. We have tons of deer. And, you know, it's, it's like I said, it's probably just Mother's Nature way of, of helping control the herd, too. I, I'm a big believer that Mother Nature yeah. will take care of, take care of business. Uh, yeah, that's no, that's no doubt. Listen, Kerry, um, um, any final thoughts and uh, maybe tell our listeners how to get touch and, you know, where's your website, how to get touch in you and uh, where to listen to your podcast? Sure. Well, you can always find Huntfish Travel on iTunes, Stitcher, any, any podcasting app. You can go to my website, kerryzilka.com, C-A-R-R-I-E-Z-Y-L-K-A.com. And I have there a list of all the podcasts that I host, and you can listen right there on the website. You feel free to find me on Facebook, Twitter, any social media platform. It's just at Carrie Zilka. And full disclosure, in case I said anything wrong or gave incorrect statistics, I am not a deer biologist, and I am not in, and I'm not Wikipedia, so don't send me hate mail. I, I so. noticed that. I'm, I'm getting that very, very, very often because I'm kind of asking these questions and kind of try to dig a little bit, and it's like, oh, but that's fine. Which is, I'm sure I'm said a lot of stupid things as well. So <laughs> there's no. Problem. Listen, Kerry, thank you very much for doing this. Uh, I, yeah, I really thanks for having it. me on. Absolutely, cool. listen, and it, it was so great to uh, again to have uh, somebody from the United States and being able to uh, talk about fishing and hunting there. So yeah. uh, I wish you uh, you 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 hit your turkey slam or yeah, thank you. Yeah, I'm sure it's gonna happen. And uh, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks again for having me on. It was a real pleasure. Same here. Bye bye. Bye. You just listened to an archived episode of the Tommy's Outdoors Conservation and Science Podcast. I invite you to take a moment and listen to one of the most recent episodes. I'm sure you'll enjoy it.